0: Is it normal for female patients to not be in the mood? How common is libido disturbance in women? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise. Your host and with me today is Dr. Jill Warnock. Dr. Warnock is a Professor of Psychiatry, Director of Clinical Research, and Adjunct Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center in Tulsa. Her research interests include psychiatric disorders in women, and reproductive endocrinology. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much, Leslie, for having me. Dr. Warnock, tell us about female libido.
1: Well, female libido is a very interesting topic. The words that we use now are, in terms of the DSM-IV, would be a female hypoactive sexual desire disorder, HSDD. And what are the essential features of female HSDD? It's the deficiency or absence of sexual fantasies and the desire for sexual activity that causes marked distress or interpersonal difficulty. That's an important point because if she doesn't care about sex and doesn't want sex and it isn't a problem for her or her spouse or a significant other, then it's not a problem.
0: Makes sense. Now, how common is this problem?
1: Well, actually, it's pretty common, and it's, again, more common in women than in guys. There's been a study by Lauman that was in 1999, and his colleagues, they noted that approximately 30% of the women in the United States between the ages of 18 and 59 complain of lack of interest in sex, so that's quite an issue. There's different types of low sexual desire. One is called primary. And the other is secondary. And the primary was that I thought it would be an individual who never had any interest in sex. It just never was an issue for them and just really never cared about it. The women that I do my research with and take care of more are those that what we call secondary or acquired female hypoactive sexual desire disorder, the best way to describe it, and and these women get it when I tell them, I says, I want to take care of the patient who says, I had it, I lost it, and I want it back. Mm. (laughs) And so, and I want it back that they want it back, that they just don't want it back for their husband, but that they want it back for themselves, so that they too can feel that sense of intimacy and joy in life that having a good sexual, a robust sexual desire uh, provides. And in fact, I, there was one Wall Street Journal article several years ago, and I hope I'm quoting it right, but it was just like, if going from sex from once a month to twice a month makes Americans, both men and women, as equally happy as having an extra $50,000 in the bank. Wow. These guys, they <laughs> quantified it.
0: So uh, that makes it pretty impactful. Sounds like a Wall Street way of looking at things, yeah, doesn't it? Oh, exactly. So if we think about these women with a secondary libido disturbance, what is typically the primary problem? That's the complicated issue
1: because women are are more complicated. And that's what's important in terms of the diagnosis. Obviously, it all begins, you know, with a good history and you want to determine if like I said, let's assume that it's it's secondary so that they had it and now they lost it. You want to make sure that probably the number one issue is, do they like the guy? Do they uh, like, That, do that they, would be important. That would be important. And that would be number one issue. I think that maybe the relationship is dwindling in some ways and those would not be you know, be on a biologic level that I would be involved in treatment. So most of the women I treat, I got to make sure that they they really do love the guy. They're here for themselves, but that they really do have an active, uh, loving relationship with their partner, but this part is missing and they want that part back. Mm-hmm. They want that intimacy and joy back into their relationship. Like I saw a patient yesterday, she says, you know, we used to have sex three or four times a week. And after my child, after my first child, it's just like, it's just gone. It's gone for me. And I want that back. And that might be a typical presentation. So what else? We want to make sure that the quality of the partner is good, as I mentioned. The other thing is to make sure that the partner is pretty, I don't know how to say this delicately, but experienced. You know, we change. Women change over time so that what might have we might have enjoyed at one time in their life now may be different, especially after they've had a baby. So that you may have to kind of explore issues differently. Um woman has to know what she likes, I always tell them so that she can explain it to her husband because she may have changed. And like I've had a patient say, Well, you know, Fred, I really like him, but you know, he's just got one move. <laughs> and I'd say, Well, you know, part of that is you need to explain, Fred, what you like now if you want another move. And so, so that communication becomes obviously very, very important. Other issues, of course, after you have the baby or typically there might be extra stressors. Now the baby's in the home or the adolescents or other children are running around so they don't have that quiet, protected time that they had before. So those would be some of the more psycho-social issues that could impact uh, sexual desire. But then on a more Medical side, you certainly want to look for recreational substances, and probably the worst would be um, alcohol. I mean, people feel like alcohol enhances, and maybe one drink might enhance in that one may feel a little bit less stressed, but more than a couple of drinks certainly inhibits one's uh, performance uh, and enjoyment. The other things are looking at as women get older, they may be more likely to have general medical conditions that can impact desire, such as a hormone deficiency or diabetes. They can affect, just like diabetes can affect a guy's erections, for example, diabetes can affect a woman's, well, both arousal, and I haven't really explained arousal, but that is different than desire, where one, if one isn't able to lubricate and get genital swelling and isn't able to become aroused, well, then, in turn, she may not have desire because what's the use of having desire? Because I can't ever get aroused or have an orgasm either. So I have no desire because nothing happens. Other reasons could be medications, uh, certain antidepressants particularly, antihypertensives, for example, or anticonvulsants. Perhaps certain surgeries could uh, impact maybe a hysterectomy she's lost that familiar contractions that occur with a hysterectomy that she no longer feels the same sensations that she felt. Often for the patients that I would see, though, it it would often can be like the antidepressants, like the SSRIs. Say a woman is depressed and the SSRIs, as you no doubt know, can cause sexual dysfunction, which is probably one of the main reasons psychiatrists are involved in trying to assess this so that we can help our patients obtain intimacy with their partners, because intimacy with a partner can be important in overcoming the depression.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Reach MD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jill Warnock. We are discussing female hypoactive sexual desire disorder. So Jill, gosh, that's a long list of problems. <laughs> Well how do you go about treating these women? I mean, obviously figuring out what's wrong, but then what? Some of it's going to be basic good medical
1: care because sexual health is associated with health in general. So the more physically healthy you are, the more likely you are to have a robust desire. So just like what every doctor and clinician wants their patient to do, you've got to stop smoking and avoid alcohol and limit any illicit drug use, which certainly can do that, Uh, try to exercise, proper nutrition, good sleep hygiene, stress management, particularly if they're feeling very stressed out, women carrying too many roles, working full-time, still taking care of the house and so forth. I had one patient, she told me, actually she was a normal because we were doing the study and we were looking at normal individuals who had great sex and, you know, they were happy to be participating in our study just because They enjoyed it so much they wanted other people to have that benefit as well. And one of the things that she said, her husband was a truck driver and she was a caregiver at home and took care of other kids at home too. And so when he came home, he immediately helped her pick up the toys and vacuumed. And she said, you know, nothing makes turns me (laughs) on more than to see you vacuum and She was just so grateful that here he's helping her out. That just increased her love and lust for him and he knew what vacuuming got him,
0: so (laughs) So vacuuming is foreplay,
1: huh? (laughs) It was for her.
0: Now, is there any place at all for medication treatment of hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women?
1: Yes, there is. We did one study, it was a double blind placebo controlled trial. This was with men and women who had responded to an SSRI, for example. So they were on an SSRI and they were well, but they had problems with sexual functioning. And another antidepressant, which we used as an antidote, and some doctors have used this, as as, um, I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, to add bupropion or Welbutrin, the other word for that, that, that can be an effective antidote on many occasions. Another, it would depend where the woman is in terms of her life cycle. If she is now approaching perimenopause and has vaginal dryness, if she has signs and symptoms of estrogen deficiency, that can also impact one's desire. If sex becomes more painful or it isn't as enjoyable, so um, hormone replacement More controversial, but I also think needs to be studied much, much further are signs and symptoms of androgen deficiency. Mm. Uh, Very interesting, especially if women have had a hysterectomy with her ovaries removed. About 50% of women's um, androgens are produced in the ovary, and those are continued to be produced even in through the perimenopause and postmenopausal years. So those androgens help provide a woman to stay somewhat robust and um, lusty, so to speak, in her um, sexual desire. So androgen deficiency, I think, is an issue that needs to be studied further. You may recall that there was that patch, but the federal agencies did not approve that uh, for women uh, for reasons that only they can really know. But Maybe they felt it wasn't worth it or that the risk was too high. But I think, and at least what I've seen in clinical situations, like I said, working with the reproductive endocrinologists and others, that when you talk about just physiologic replacement of androgens, I think in women, that that may have a place and a role that needs to be studied further. We're not talking about large, massive increases, but when we talk about androgens in women, when they have less than oftentimes has less than two picograms per ml. Now, that is just a minuscule amount, um, and there are no norms out for what does a woman need for best sexual function. It's not just sexual functioning; It also helps maintain bone. It helps maintain muscle mass and affects brain as well in a positive way. Too much, of course, can cause uh, increase in lipids, and which has detrimental effects and clitoromegaly and voice changes, but those are supra-physiologic replacement amounts. So I personally think that there is a role for considering further study
0: as needed. Thank you so much, Jill, for being on the show today. My pleasure. We've been discussing female sexual dysfunction. I am Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.